Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, what's up everybody? Flow Grappling Podcast back once again. A fistful of collars. Howell Teague, Reed Connell, Chase Smith laughing his ass off for some reason. And Will Safford over here in the corner, the stoic, silent rock of Flow Grappling. Right. So, we're back again. Another we week. Another, another week. Yeah. Busy week at Jiu-Jitsu, as always. Lots of stuff to dissect, lots of stuff to talk about. Um, I think the, f- the biggest one, really, the, is the big news that everybody's talking about. It's just that we've dropped our rankings, the Flow Grappling rankings. And, um, well... This is the first time we've had any kind of ranking system in jiu-jitsu, right? And people are a little bit rattled by that, right? <laughs> Maybe you don't know what to make of it. But first things first, let's explain it. Like, what's the deal? What's, what's going on with the rankings? Well, the reason why I like, like uh, coming out with the rankings, man, is because IBJJF has their rankings, right? They, they do some things. But it can be really hard sometimes to follow the sport. You know, there's a lot of different competitions. You know, there's competitions literally all over the world. So it can be hard to, to know who's on the rise, you know, who's uh, on the downturn, who's winning, who's losing, you know, and so I think that this, these rankings are really going to be able to black and white spell out, you know, these are the guys who, who are winning, these are the guys who are, who are ranked number one, number two, you know, and it gives a lot of the guys who are um, lower ranked some, uh, you know, some, some will to, to move up the rankings, you know, I think it's the, the perfect thing for, for fans, for everybody to really be able to uh, follow along the sport a little easier. And let's explain a little bit about how the IBJJF and the UAE JJF rankings work. Because they are, they're not performance-based per se, are they, Chase? No, I mean, when it comes to the UAE JJF, uh, it's about going to the events. I mean, some of these guys, uh, Igor Silva competes almost every weekend, it seems, at a UAE JJF, and he just dominates those. So really, it's about going to all the major events. Plus, you have to pick and choose which events are ranked higher. Now, the UAE JJF and IBJJ have different systems there. Because explain, the, the rankings that they run are actually just accumulated via points, right? Exactly. And they, they differ in the way you can earn these points. Of course, one through three uh, placing there gives you points, but also certain events are rated higher, and that, that goes for both organizations. And we're, we kind of consolidate all that. I think uh, we could pass over to here to Will, who helped us really formulate how we're going to do it. But we sort of take all the aggregates of all the promotions, ACB, IBJJF, Super fights, and we say, okay, who is really on top here? Who is number one 
through 10 or 15. Right. Yeah, Will, you were a big force in driving these rankings forward. You were one of the guys who were like, man, we've got to bring these rankings in. We've got to get this system up and running. So uh, l- l- how, did we, how did we sit down? I know how we sat down, but maybe you explain. How did we sit down and figure out how that ranking, what it looked like? Well, we, we took the last 12 months of competition, UAE, IBJJF, that's one thing that separates us from the IBJJF ranking is that it's strictly IBJJF, right? So we looked into gi competition for the last 12 months going back um, and took into consideration not only participation, which is a lot of UAE, JJF, like you get points just for participating, but how how you did, how you did, how you ranked the, the um, people that you went up against as well. Um, and it was a full year, look back, full 12 months looking back. So, that's yeah. So, <laughs> long story short, a shit ton of work went into putting these together <laughs> because we had to go back through 12 months, 12 calendar months of results, look at who was out there, how they were winning the matches. Because, you know, winning against uh, some guy by an advantage isn't necessarily the same thing as going out and dominating by submission, right? Certainly, yeah. And we just came out with, with uh, yesterday the uh, the pound for pound rankings, right? Who, who do we put up uh, number one? Oh, you have to sign online and check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, this is premium content, right? Because obviously, Flow Grappling, one of the things we're doing is we're, we're developing the amount of content that we're releasing, we're putting out there. And, uh, you know, for our members, obviously, they get access to the best uh, stuff on our site. That includes techniques, that includes documentaries, and that's going to include the rankings we and more stuff coming too. Probably giveaway number one, though. Let's give away <laughs> number one. It's Buchecha. And there I don't think go. anyone's really going to be too upset about that. It's a tough one to argue with. It's a tough one to argue pound, with. Best pound for pound Bouchesha out there right now. I mean, And this yeah. is in the gi. Right now our rankings are strictly in the gi. And so... Um, also, pound for pound is not absolute. So this does not yeah, take... This, this is not just an aggregate of how people did in the absolute because a lot of the smaller guys don't compete in the absolute division. So number two, we have a guy who doesn't really compete too often in, in the uh, absolute division. So this is a good kind of aggregate of everybody who competes in the gi for the last 12 months. That's right. It's our, uh, hopefully, you know, by pooling our sort of, you know, our viewpoints of jujitsu together because we all see things a little differently, but that kind of creates, hopefully, a balanced view of the sport as general, right? And so, fingers crossed, you guys will like it. Uh, more to come. We'll be releasing one weight class every day um, up until all 10 rankings have been released and then we'll be updating that after pans and every major tournament that comes around and anytime anything happens anywhere you know you should see a change in that ranking so make sure to keep an eye on that and so. if you guys have hate mail it's how at flow sports he will answer all your questions <laughs> it should be easier to follow I think going forward because like we mentioned it's 12 months of competition it's a lot to sort of uh, consider and not, not everyone's going to agree. However, moving forward, the rankings are going on a one-by-one basis on these major events, and you should be able to start predicting maybe how the changes will happen in the future. So we're really looking forward to rolling this out over the next several months and uh, really making it even easier to follow. One thing I'm looking forward to, and you, you mentioned it briefly there, Reed, is that you know going into these tournaments such as PANS now, we'll be able to see the brackets and we'll be like, oh, wow, okay, so number 13 is going up against number 4 in this round here. That's a good chance for that guy to jump way up in that rankings, right? So I think, personally, it adds a little bit of uh, spice to those matches. Huh? Yeah, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you don't know two guys going against each other. Where are they, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, you know? 
know, but and you don't know that. Oh, hey, number fourteen just beat number three. That's a huge upset, you know. So that, that being able to put that stuff in context, I think is going to really go a long way. I think another thing too is that every other sport has rankings. You know, you have standings. Yeah. All the combat sports, boxing, MMA, they all have rankings. So I think it's time that that jujitsu has a, a serious ranking system. There we go. Go to flowgrappling.com. Check it out. All right, moving swiftly on. So. Uh, Last weekend, last weekend, we had a big event, IBJJF Pan Kids. Okay, so this is the, the one of the most important tournaments in the world for infant through to adolescent competitors. Um, Chase, Will, you guys were there, Long Beach Pyramid, the same venue that they use for the World Championships, which comes around once a year. Kids Pans, uh, tell us a little bit about the tournament. What was it like when you guys were there? Man. Uh it's a phenomenal event. It's my second time going, and the vibe feels like a major tournament, even for adults. I mean, you're in the pyramid, the same place, the, the mats are the same, and, and the vibe is very intense. The coaching is strong, um, and it's a lot of fun. These but kids for are these guys as well. There's a lot on the line, right? Some come all the way from across the country and international as well. I mean, um, you can feel that these kids really have trained hard. They were camped for this event, and it shows in the level. And I, I think Will can attest to this, that some of these younger yellow and orange belts are so damn good at jiu-jitsu, it's terrifying. Yeah, so. you said it yourself yes, or the, the, earlier this week. You said that these yellow belts are quite literally savages. It's true. It's true. I would not <laughs> want to roll with some of them. <laughs> okay. These guys are awesome. They're playing super advanced games. You know, just games, I, I think a lot of these guys mimic their coaches and obviously some of the best uh, schools are in Southern California. They have kids programs. So I'm seeing guys going out there, pulling, you know, doing barrel bowl, fancy back takes. Um, so th- and these are eight years old. They're, they're, yeah, yeah. They're, they're super young, and they give it their all. These kids go out there, and they work so hard. Another, another cool thing, too, is that you will see some of the very best takedowns. You will see mm. the, the action is nonstop. These kids go after each other, flying attempts. Crazy takedowns everywhere. It's it's a really it was fun. It was mm, fun to be there. Interesting. And you know the, the the team thing you mentioned there. Being based in Southern California, there's like a really high concentration of super high level teams. Uh, you had obviously a, a lot of big name coaches there in the the sidelines as well. I saw guys like obviously the Mendez brothers, Leticia Hibero, Cobrinha, and uh, you know an absolute ton of others. Now these are all super high level world champions right there on the sidelines coaching what is the future of the sport, right? Is, is phenomenal, and you know we're keeping up with with the points race for the teams throughout the night. And we realized about an hour before the event was over, it was within 15 points for the top three. The I mean, any neck. any team could have won based on the next few finals that were happening, which just shows the level is high everywhere. They're not Atos has won six times, so they've got a kind of a stranglehold. But man, there are other teams right there on their heels. Check Matt is right there. Gracie Baja is right there. And again, we have smaller teams that are from the East Coast, maybe, or other places that cannot bring 60-plus kids, and they are making a run as well in the top 10, like Unity, Carlson Gracie, and other schools. So, uh, really fun event. Kids' programs, they're kind of like the the, the bedrock, like the foundation for a lot of these schools, right? Obviously, you know, you got the competition teams, but that's quite a small part of what a lot of these big gyms do. And then they've got the general student base, but the kids' programs are always a super important thing. So, I guess there's a lot on the line for some of these teams to have a good showing at this event. Would you agree? I would say so, yeah. Kind of, it's it's kind of a um, prediction of the future and the success of the program going forward, but cool thing I got to do was go out to Leo Vieira's academy, and he just set up this new academy, the dojo, which is kind of like a, 
it's a very like positive environment where kids can come and do their their homework. You know, a bus picks them up from school. They've got their gi all ready for them right there, and so it's a really positive training environment for them. But one thing that that stuck out to me was that Leo doesn't force his kids to compete. There's no pressure. So if you want to compete, you can compete. And Checkmat has some great kids. You know, they they're. They've ranked in the adult uh, worlds over the last couple of years, so they're obviously a very strong team. But I think that's really cool where he leaves it up to the kids. He doesn't put the pressure on them. And if they want to compete, great. If not, you're, you're still welcome to train. Nice. We're, always, we're always so interested, I feel like, in jiu-jitsu and, and just covering the sport. We're always so interested in, like, what's next, I feel like. You know, or who's the next black belt world champion? Who's the, what's the next, um, you know, development in the guard or what's the next you know what's the future of jiu-jitsu and like you can look no further than than pan's kids tournament like it is literally the future of jiu-jitsu if you look at this tournament if you watch the kids you watch what they're doing that stuff is going to translate over to worlds in just a few years those kids are going to be winning worlds you know in, in five years or something like that so pan's kids is such a good predictor of the future of jiu-jitsu it's it's right there yeah you you nailed it right there because uh a perfect example is michael musumeci right the i think he's potentially the only uh adult black belt world champion uh who came through and won pan kids because pan kids is a relatively recent tournament obviously mikey's very young mm. uh, early 20s uh, got his black belt super young but uh, it's a, it just goes to show that these guys who are winning the Pan Kids, they have it. They have the ability that if they stick with it, they could go all the way and get there to literally black belt world title. It's incredible, right? Well, to, to kind Absolutely. of promote the, uh, the Pan Kids, I kind of made this montage of um, current black belt champions and got pictures of them as little kids. And it includes the likes of the Mendes brothers, Bouchesha, Mackenzie Dern. So... These guys who are the highest, they've reached the pinnacle in our sport, all started as, as kids. I don't think we realize how, how many of those guys, yeah, like won things at Yellow, yellow Belt, won big tournaments at, at Orange Belt and stuff. But all those guys, like you, like you mentioned, they all won that, that tournament. Well, this starts an interesting topic about kids not just training jiu-jitsu but competing in jiu-jitsu as well. Because Pan Kids... Uh, the level is extremely high, and I think, Chase, you were the guy who mentioned it. You said that this is not a tournament for first-timers or for maybe, um, you know, it's going to be the guys who, they, they're all going to be super prepared. So it's not a tournament to, to test the waters, right? A hundred percent. You know, white and gray belt, where they're both, where everyone involved is extremely novice, that's fine. But as early as yellow belt, you have kids with complete, complete games. They know exactly what they're doing, and... I think that means six to eight years old. I have to double check. But imagine being another six, eight-year-old that, that has never competed and they're very young. They go to kids' pants to do their first event because the whole team's going. They're going to get destroyed. I mean, uh, the level is very high. And that could really maybe turn them off from competing in the future. They could say, oh, I'm not even good at jiu-jitsu. And it's crazy to me that a seven-year-old might have doubts about their jiu-jitsu. But it could happen by competing at like a high-level event like this. So really, I think... Um, Take a measured approach as a coach. It's important to really think, is my, is my student ready for an international level event? Because that's what Kids Pans is. Um, Sometimes, though, it's not the coach's fault. The, the coaches that we saw at the sidelines, you know, Homer mm. Bahal, big names, I absolutely trust those guys' judgment in putting a kid into a tournament. But uh, there is another problem that, unfortunately, the coaches can't always control, and that is the fact that jiu-jitsu parents be crazy. <laughs> be crazy. <laughs> Man. So we saw some stuff at the weekend, right? Do you want to elaborate a little bit on some sure, of that? Sure, yeah. 
Um, I, I think some of these parents don't have have never done jujitsu and don't know what it's like to compete and don't know what it's like to lose, don't know what it's like to be on the mat. So they don't understand how hard it is to to compete, to train, to win. And they just expect so much from these kids. And, um, you know, I saw a lot of just kind of negativity in a way. You know, some one parent was getting really vulgar with, with his daughter, who must have been like five years old, you know, using like really foul language with her. and To try that, and like, what, amp her up or? No, after, this was outside. This was after she competed. Berating her. Yeah. So yeah. that just turned me off at all. You know, these, I think Pan Kids is great. It should, it, competing as a kid is awesome, you know. But it should be a supportive environment mm -hmm. where you're helping these kids grow, learn from their mistakes, and encouraging them 100% along the way, you know? Yeah, the IBJJF, they're, they're offering an amazing platform right here, right? And they have opportunities for kids to compete uh, all levels, all different tournaments around the world. But uh, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's not really the coach's fault. It's not the federation's fault. But unfortunately, some of these parents are... They just, uh, they're coming at it and they've got a really distorted point of view. Now, I kind of want to talk about that as a whole. What do you guys think about this? Because we've heard horror stories about parents giving their kids laxatives to make weight, you know, about slapping them across the face like you know, little kids to try and get them amped up before matches. You know, the kids coming off crying in tears and then getting berated for losing or for, for tapping out to a submission. And these are, these are children under the age of 10. So, you know, what do we think about kids training and competing in jiu-jitsu? Is it actually maybe something that we should, we should shy away from or should it be done differently? What do we think? I mean, I don't know. I, I think um, I've never really seen some of the stuff you guys are describing in jiu-jitsu like that. Um, I, I haven't either, to put, it, to put it out there. I haven't either, personally. I've only had positive experiences. And I, I think, obviously, there's, there's anomaly cases where, where um, kids' parents are are too tough on them in any, in any sport, right? In any sport, there's going to be guys who, are, who put too much pressure, put too much uh, expectation on the kids. Um, but I think, I think generally jiu-jitsu promotes such a positive um, experience in, in that way. I feel like a lot of the things that I've seen in, in, in jiu-jitsu and competition and stuff, you know, whereas a lot of times where like guys don't tap and they, and they stop the match early, you know, I think that stuff's great. I think protecting the kids, making sure that they come off the mat, you know, all right is... is um, yeah, they'll, they'll, of, if one importance. kid picks another one up, the referee will be ready to catch him mm -hmm. and yeah, lower him down. Yeah, I think the IBJJF does yeah. a really good job of, of kind of like making sure that it is a safe and, and, and friendly environment for the kids to compete. You know, um, I wrestled it as a young kid, so, and like, not that my parents were like super hard on me or anything like that, but like, I think that it really, like, wrestling as, as a younger kid um, taught me, you know, like, that, hey, you got to work hard to win. You know, you can't just go out there and expect to win. You know, you got to, like, actually put some work in there. And it taught me, like, how to win. It taught me how to that nothing comes easy. You know, jiu-jitsu does the same. Yeah, yeah. And I think those are important lessons to learn as a kid that, you, that you're going to take um, through your entire life, right? And so it's unfortunate, you know, that, that some parents take it too far. But for the most part, for me, I feel like um, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of positive things. Did you ever see any of that, like, that horror, side, horror story side of behavior from the parents in, in wrestling? Um, yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, so it's not just jiu-jitsu. Yeah, 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 definitely not jiu-jitsu. And, and, you know, it's hard for me to, like, I can, I can look across the, the room and see a guy yelling at, at his son or something like that, you know, and, and who knows what's going on there, really. You know, um, I'm not in that situation. So it, there could be a couple different factors. Probably. I think it'd be crazy to say jiu-jitsu is bad for, for kids. I mean, to me, it's, a, it's such a 
empowering environment. You know, you work every day to get better. The coaches generally are just amazing people that want the best. Competition, I, I think Leo Vieira's approach of, you know, some kids more inclined to do it, go for it, and if not... Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's my question then. So competition can be good, but how do, how do they handle that pressure? Is it, is it too much pressure for them? I don't, th I don't think so. You know, I think a lot of kids want to compete. I think it's natural, especially if they've never done it. They see, you know, the older students in class wanting to go, go off to compete. They train hard, and they want to be part of the fun. And, you know, maybe they have a good first experience, maybe they don't. And a, a lot of that depends on, on parents being reasonable with their expectations because um, ultimately winning or losing isn't necessarily as important as, as, like, having a great trip. You know, going out to California for kids' pans, the whole thing might be a fantastic memory, even if you got, you know, out of your first match. So um, I, I, I would wholly recommend, you know, kids compete if they want to. If, if they're shying away from it, there's no need to force them. But I, from my experience growing up, I wanted to compete. You know, I grew up surfing, and competing in surfing was a natural thing. And it was just, no one told me to. It just, it was there. It was happening, and it was a big deal. People were talking about it. So, of course. But it, let, let me flip this around, then, going back to the jujitsu parents be crazy. That if your dad had been like psycho and saying like Chase, you have to get up at five a.m. every day. You've got to be at the beach. You've got to be running sprints. You've got to be doing this. I want to see you surfing every day. You've got to make it to the top. <laughs> You'd probably get to eleven years of age and be like, screw surfing. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Man, just a quick anecdote about Kerry uh, Colat, who I think a lot of guys know in the, the wrestling sphere. Kerry Colat, one of the, the best American wrestlers basically uh, ever, you know. And he had has a story. Um, you know, went to the went to the Olympics, went to the World Champ. Championships uh, placed is a crazy story, um, but he's one of the best in the, in the world, right? And uh, his father was uh, probably the ultimate crazy guy. He literally, literally was having a problem where he was getting stuck on bottom position in wrestling. And guys were riding him out, and he was losing matches by, by getting rode out. And his dad said, you don't want to get up off bottom? All right, I'm going to make you get up off bottom. And he literally got a cattle prod and would cattle prod Kerry <laughs> Colat. And, and he would... And every time he got stuck on bottom in practice or something like that, his dad would literally... He'd zap him. Yeah, would zap him. <laughs> and, and Kerry is telling this story, you know, he's 40 years old now or, or something like that. And obviously... Like, you can't do that today. Obviously, that's, that's something that's very, very frowned upon, and for good reason, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Frowned upon, yeah. yes, frowned upon. But, but he definitely did acknowledge that he got out from bottom, from there on out, you know? Like, he didn't get, get rode uh, out the rest of the period from there, you know? Like, those extreme measures um, made him a better wrestler, for whatever, think, uh, whatever that's worth. A lot of athletes' stories are kind of like this from the Olympic elite level, where they do have yeah. insane coaches, insane parents, like some kind of driving force that's unnatural. And yeah, um, I'm sure those Chinese and Russian gymnastics coaches are really mellow, right? Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. And, so he, and so he did. He didn't, didn't um, you know, I don't want to say he hated his dad, but he didn't have a lot of love for his dad, especially um, in, in those years when he was developing in, in wrestling. But he definitely acknowledges that his dad made him a champion. But know? he got an Olympic medal to show for it. So that's the that's the kind of the trade-off, right? <laughs> and it's but a big trade-off. And maybe there's definitely. no right or wrong here. I mean, it's it's tough to say how to raise someone's kid. Like, maybe yeah. you had this vision for your, your child being an Olympic wrestler, and that's what you set them on, that path you set them on. It has consequences of maybe alienating a normal kind of relationship. But... Well, I've got, a, I've got a, an interesting sort of uh, a point of view about the whole competition thing, because I'm not a huge fan of kids competing at such an early age. Now, don't get me wrong, I can see the benefits of competition for jiu-jitsu. I absolutely think the kids should compete, but I think that maybe they should start around about the age of 11 or 12, because as you said, before that, there's such the, um, 
there is the possibility of these kids really getting like a traumatic experience of jujitsu, and it's such a formative age. They associate jujitsu with these negative feelings, negative experiences, and they just never go back. Uh, but I did some informal research when I first moved to Brazil, 2011, and I really wanted to kind of dive into almost like the secrets of success, secrets of success for a lot of these high-level guys. Now I'm talking members of the Gracie family, members of the original Carson Gracie like you know team, they were the ones that dominating in the 90s, and everybody in between. And an interesting thing I found is that regardless of the age that they started jiu-jitsu, whether it was the Gracie on the mat since he was a toddler, or whether it was some guy who came to jiu-jitsu at 11, 12 years of age with one of his childhood buddies, none of them really took it seriously until about 14 or 15. And you look at kids, up until that age, developing the whole motor coordination, the skills, are they really going to learn jujitsu at that age? Or, you know, is, is, is the teenage years the time when they're actually going to start dedicating themselves and then, boom, that's when they become the high-level competitors? I would, I would agree with that. You know, some of these kids went out there, the, the little, the peewee division, they must be four, four years old. The, the ref would say, fight. And then they would just look at each other. What do you mean? They're they're looking at the crowd and stuff, which is entertaining for us. But, I mean, the kid is just like, man, he's he's in shock out there. And they grab each other and they fall over. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's that whole thing. Yeah, I I don't think you should force this on kids at 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 a young age, especially when... Like you're saying, their coordination hasn't developed yet. That, that was a big thing that I could see. Where some kids were just more mature, had, had, had matured physically over other kids, but they're in the same weight class, the same division, the same belt, you know? So um, it's just there is a right time to introduce jiu-jitsu, and I think too early is, is too soon. It's, it's really um, it's, it's hard to sustain, like, a, a very focused, competitive career in any sport when you're when you're trying to become like a a world champion at eight years old or something like that you know and then to to sustain that for 20 years Mm. you know that is very very difficult so you do i think there is like kind of like a finite um number of years that you can really be dedicated to any sport and try to be the the best at it you know like you you nailed it right there actually i I was i was thinking of i was thinking of like the the mendez brothers right 26 years old and they're done you know, and, and they had a coach that was very hard on them. So. Well, you're talking about your wrestling experience as well. It makes me think because um, you never really see wrestling like athletes unless they're at the Olympics or something like that. Like they hit, they finish college and they're done, yeah. right? And like, well, early 20s. Yeah, I, I think of a, a guy, um, Chance Marsteller, I believe his, his name is. And he was like a phenom, the best middle school wrestler in the country for, for four years straight, the best wrestler in high school for four years straight. You know, like this guy was going to be an Olympic champion. And he goes to college and he's just like, guys, I, I'm done. I, I need to do something else. I, I, I can't sustain this high level every single day, you know, because he's been doing it since he was, you know, eight years old. And he got to college and, and it was just like, I feel like, you know, I don't know the, the full, full story, so I'm kind of speaking a little out of turn. But um, it's, it seemed like it was just too much for him. And then we've got in IBJJF World Championships, you've got guys over the age of 30 walking in and winning black belt world title. There you go. Yeah, so, that's true. You know, well, one, one, one cool thing I will say about the uh, IBJJF is that you do, uh, kids, IBJJF kids fans, you do have to win a medal. You're not getting a participation trophy. Mm. And today, everyone's getting a participant. No, you got to earn that thing. you got to earn that your spot on the, on the podium. So. For I like sure. That. I mean, I just want to bring this up before we, uh, before we close this topic to a, uh, this, this is a, a very well-respected 
jiu-jitsu coach, we, uh, we saw him get his coral belt at mm. the ceremony there at the uh, Masters Worlds last year, uh, Jose Leon Teixeira. And this is a guy that he actually, he was one of the original founders of Gracie Baja, and he, uh, he coached Henzo from like the age of 13 or 14 years of, old, uh, of age, right? He had like Henzo in his class when Henzo was a little yellow belt and stuff. So that's the level that this guy is at. And he's known in Brazil as being one of the kind of the best kids coaches out there. And he says himself that, you know, the role of the, of the coach in that, in that environment with kids is not about producing champions. It's about forming good human beings. Mm. And I, for me, I think that's one of the most powerful things about jujitsu, mm. right? Yeah, we often here at Flow Grappling are so sports-centric. Sometimes we kind of lose sight of some of the best and most fun and interesting parts of jujitsu is the way that it does affect your character and... Uh, I mean, as a kid, it's about having fun and, and sharing, right? Like, like not being a little bastard. And um, in jiu-jitsu, you can, you can learn some lessons that way, you know, um, both through the guidance of a teacher or just by having a tough day on the mat. So it's a, it's a really important, I think, great part of a kid's foundation. Humbling jiu-jitsu, yeah. Very cool. All right, guys. So moving on to our next topic, a little bit of a uh, <laughs> diversion from the topic of kids' jiu-jitsu. Once again, Gordon Ryan is up to his old tricks, call-outs on social media. Not the first time that I'm sure this has been discussed, but Gordon Ryan is on fire at the moment. Um, He has been issuing call-outs left, right, and center, but the principal one that caught our attention was calling out Gio Martinez, the pound-for-pound top-ranked 10th planet jiu-jitsu black belt out there. And, man, those 10th planet guys in the Danaher death squad... They just can't stop. They're always going at it, right? There's quite a schism these days. You know, I feel like it's pretty cordial for a long time, and maybe in the last year, it's definitely uh, going head-to-head. And this is an interesting match, right? Well, but the match is, uh, is his younger brother, right? Exactly. So Gordon's not calling out Gio. Yeah. He's making call-outs on his 16-year-old brother on his behalf. So a bit different. Gio, Gio versus Nikki, uh, Nikki Ryan. Obviously, Nikki Ryan, the... Um, 16-year-old, I don't know, is he still 16? I feel uh-huh. like I've been calling him 16 for, for a couple like three years. years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always 16. Yeah, milking it, milking it for all the, his 16, possibly 17-year-old, Nicky Ryan. Um, he is um, obviously, uh, you know, one of the phenoms of the sport, a young kid who's been on a roll, ended up getting third at um, East Coast Trials for ADCC and West Coast Trials, narrowly missed out on, on the invite, but ended up going to ADCC and getting in last minute when Justin Rader missed weight. so he, losing narrowly on points to AJ Agazam, of all people, in so the first be, round. I believe becoming the youngest person to ever compete at ADCC. And um, he, he had called out Gio Martinez kind of earlier in an uh, in uh, Instagram post. Uh, didn't really gain as much traction, you know. So I th- then Gordon picked up the torch from there and said, you know, well, this is a match that, that needs to happen. The 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 tenth planet, uh, you know, the the highest representative of tenth planet versus versus Nikki. What do you think? I mean, Geo, he like you said, the highest tenth planet representative. I mean, should he even be responding to a sixteen year old kid calling him out? 
Well, uh, he didn't respond to him calling him out, right? So he didn't respond, and uh, it wasn't until Gordon, who um, has a lot of clout in <laughs> in, uh, in the jiu-jitsu community and has a lot of, of fans, has a big fan base that uh, comes comes with him. So once Gordon uh, got into the conversation and started demanding the match, that is when uh, it just became too much for for Gio to to to, to bury. He had to respond to it, you know. Well, let's explain why this happened as well. It's because one of Gordon's teammates, John. Palestine, who was a brown belt under uh, the Henzo Gracie network and kind of uh, one of the so-called junior members of the Danaher Death Squad, right? Uh, he went out and he beat Gio and he won EBI. He subbed like three guys on his side of the bracket and then he took Gio and he beat Gio in the overtime. And, uh, and you know, for one of the junior members of the Danaher Death Squad to take out a guy like Gio... Gordon saw that as the uh, as the green light. Okay, right. You know, you lost to one of our younger members. Now, you know, you've been avoiding the match with Nikki. It's time, right? What do you guys think about that? Was that a fair time to make the call out? Or Oh, it's a very calculated and smart time. I mean, Gio's in a bit of a corner here. Um, it's tough to ignore, especially Gordon, um, putting more and more money up. I think he got up to... Twenty thousand dollars in a Bitcoin, <laughs> something right. like that. Yeah, so. that's like a total of about thirty-two grand. Yeah. Right. So, I mean. If I was Gio, I would have a hard time responding at all. I think I'd either have to say yes or just be radio silent. If I well, did, let's yeah. be frank, right? It's kind of a lose-lose for Gio, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It's like if he takes a match and he beats a 16-year-old kid, good for you. You beat a 16-year-old kid. If you lose to a 16-year-old kid, that's bad for you. Super bad. <laughs> no, but I think, I think he kind of shuts up some of the talk coming out of Danaher Death Squad. You know, this is Eddie Bravo came out with that statement last year that their goal was to go after the Danaher Death Squad. Here's an opportunity for him. If he's confident in his jiu-jitsu, he's the top-ranked guy, take care of it. Get it done, you know. You're going to get paid either way. Get out there and, and show them what 10th Planet has. Gio does have a win over over Eddie Cummings. He beat uh, Eddie Cummings at an EBI final in overtime. Submitted him in overtime, so he does have he does hold some win over some of the guys, some of the Danaher Death Squad guys, and that's probably probably one of the biggest wins of, of his career. There. Not in a while though, right? Because the Danaher Death Squad has just been mopping up the EBI competition. Every time they're invited, they win. Yeah, right? I, believe, I think it was. Um, I think it was this time last year that they, that Gio and, and Eddie fought. December 2016, because we yeah. were in San Diego watching it live. I yep. remember it was yeah, the one in Mexico City. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let's just look at that a second. Now, if we're going to see a Danaher Death Squad versus 10th Planet match, to be honest, I don't want to see Nikki go up against Gio yet because I feel that there's some unfinished business there with Gio and, and, and Eddie, right? Right. And, 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 and let's put this again, again in con- context, that John Callistine shouldn't have even been there because that was Eddie Cummings' Eddie. spot. And Eddie Cummings got sick, like mm. 48 hours out, wow. out from the tournament, and John stepped in as a last-minute replacement and ends up beating Gio. But I'm like, I f- still feel that that match, it should have been Eddie Gio, right? Maybe, but I, I think the juice is behind Nicky Gio. I want to see that match. Yeah. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, I love seeing what Nicky Ryan can do, and he's constantly risen to the occasion, and Gio might be his biggest test yet. And I, th- yeah. I think it's going to happen, too. You know, like it, This is one of those situations where Nicky has everything to win, you guys say, but I feel like Nicky's already on the path to, to greatness, right? He's, he's already the youngest kid in ADCC. He's going he's gonna to meet up with these guys eventually. Yeah. Why not do it now? Yeah, yeah for sure. 100%. I mean, he's going to be in, that, in Gio's weight class potentially. You know, I'm sure he'll be going after an invite in 2019. 
so they could see each other in, in 2019 at ADCC. Um, and and Nick, Nicky's not unbeatable. You know, he, he lost to, to AJ, and he had, a, he had a super fight with um, Kennedy, uh, um, uh, Cabrini's son, that we did at, at Studio 540, and that was kind of a submission-only-esque um, match, and he ended up uh, getting submitted by Kennedy in, in, in overtime That's right. there. So, so you're so, saying this might be the only <laughs> chance that Gio has to actually beat well, Nikki. I'm just I'm just saying he's <laughs> he's certainly capable of of beating Nikki. That that much is is clear for yeah, sure. Yeah, doesn't take anything away from Geo, two-time ADCC veteran, you know, multiple time a- a- EBI winner. The the guy's good. And he's very young in the sport too. And I, and I liked his Instagram post where he, where he said, you know, that like, hey man, I'm still I'm still looking for my shot too, you know. And I I can definitely sympathize mm. with him there. You know, he's had some some big matches in uh, 2015 at ADCC where he made it to the third place um, match. Uh, against Bruno Forzato, and so he's he's had had some good matches. He hasn't quite had a huge breakout moment. Maybe it is versus Eddie Cummings there at EBI, but I think uh, the the future is still very bright for for Gio as well as it is Nikki. One thing I, I have to highlight though is the difference in tone between Gordon's posts and and Gio's responses because. Gordon, he's well known that he really likes to get under people's skin. Uh, man, some of his uh, attacks this week were, let's be straight, they were brutal, right? He was mm. going after various members of the 10th Planet team. And Gio was, well, I mean, anybody who's met Gio knows he's so laid back, he's super chill, and he's very respectful in his responses, right? He knows Gordon's playing the game, right? And mm-hmm. Gordon's game can really affect you if, you if you don't read it for what it is. And... Um, I really respected Gio's responses. You know, he he realized he had to say something, and why not why not take the match in his own terms? But uh, what do you guys think in general of, of social media callouts making matches happen and sort of really making forcing a match, forcing someone's hand? Especially Gordon too, because Gordon can really strong arm some people. You know, just with the way he's he's kind of risen through social media, a lot of a lot of his rise from from brown belt to to. The best, one of the best black belts in the world um, has gone along with his social media rise. So I think he's got a big fan base, got a lot of clout, like I said. So he can really strong arm, arm some people, unlike anybody else probably in jiu-jitsu. Well, he's trying to pass off a little bit of that magic onto his brother, right? Because <laughs> Nikki's pretty quiet on social media. I mean, you almost never see Nikki posting. Yeah. Gordon made his name via all these high right. high cash prize call-outs and putting, like, you know, winner takes all 10 yep. grand and stuff. To, but, uh, to answer Chase's question, I think it's great. I think this this day and age, we have the ability to, you have the ability to self-promote yourself like never before. And, uh, you know, this is a combat sport. We're, we're not playing, you know, tennis here. Like, you're going out to fight somebody. So, like, it all is part of the sport, and I, I think it's awesome. I think it makes for entertaining jiu-jitsu. Yes, it does. And uh, we actually ran a poll on our website of... Uh, who the fans would like to see, and overwhelmingly they voted in favor of Nikki versus Gio. And, uh, well, it seems like it's just a matter of time before my match is going to happen, right? Um, we actually polled a little bit as well on, on the results on who they think would win. And, uh, no, that was a little bit closer. So it seems that it's slightly in favor of Nikki beating Gio. And only slightly, only a few percent in that format. But if we were to see a match, how would we think? How would we think we would go? What are the rules here? Are we doing submission only? Are we doing overtime? This matters. Good point. It does matter, right? Because I think obviously Geo would prefer EBI rules, right? Of no surprise. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that Nikki and those guys, if they could, they would go for a no time limit submission only. But I mean, regardless, how how do we think that that kind of match will play out? Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, they, 
they're both, um, or I guess Gio's a little taller, a little longer, a little lankier than, than Nicky. Um, got the man strength. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be a little older as well. But from all accounts, that everybody tells us that Nikki is a savage on the mats, to steal a word, you know? <laughs> um, so he's, Gordon says that he's, he's like his, one of his best training partners, right? So, man, I don't know. Says the man sound his fight, though, you know? <laughs> brother <laughs> believes well, his Well, actually, brother. One, one thing True. we hear from, yeah. from everybody in the team is they all say that this kid is going to be the best of all of us. So anything that Gary Tonin's accomplished anything that Gordon's accomplished Nikki's going to eclipse it all yeah. that's that's what they're saying I mean, look at the room right he's training with those guys <laughs> at 16 and younger than that so and, and I do I do think that you know belts um, you know pur- I think Nikki's a pur- purple belt yeah. right yeah, now yeah. you know so but and it just it's just so funny how, how belts can you know distinguish people but the level is, is they're so close I, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's going to be a, a very close match but I, I think you'd have to Maybe I would have to give it to to Gio because I think when when the skill level is so close, um, Gio's been in the big matches. Gio's been to, uh, you know uh, has gone through the ADCC further, has had bigger matches at, at EBI and things like that, and has more experience in, in in those matches. So I think when the level is is so close, I have to give it to the guy who has more experience, who's been in those positions. Yeah, uh, he's got no he's got no short of his experience against the Dan Hurd squad guys as well. I mean. The, the Calistine match was decided on overtime, you know, the fastest escape. So, you know, he's no problem in avoiding the, the, the well-known Hensel Gracie system style of leg lock attacks. But remember that match with, uh, with, with Eddie and Gio and that Gio just shut down Eddie's leg lock game mm-hmm. and then he, like, tied him up with the spiderweb position and stuff. He's got that crazy arm bar. That was that so was, fast. I mean, yeah. that was smart. So, like you say, that experience is, uh, goes a long way, right. right? I don't necessarily think that we will see a battle of the leg locks, although both of them are very versed in that. Um, you know, watching some of Nikki's fight to win – Fights, he goes. He goes right at the guy. He tries to pass the guard. He he takes the back, and uh, Geo as well. You know, he's not just a one-trick pony. Where some of the other guys out there, I'd, I'd say, kind of rely on those skills. These guys are both very versed. So I think it would be a great matchup, and who knows what would happen. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it fun, right? I think right. to get back to predictions, uh, it was a close match between AJ and and Nikki, but I really think AJ was pretty safe that whole round and, and played it like a gentleman, more or less. And the experience showed, and I think Geo might not play this like a gentleman. I mean, it, it, it might he might come out after Nikki when it all comes down to, to it point. to prove a point, and the experience might be a little much. So you know, I think Nikki is, is a rising star, and each year he'll become better and better. But I think the odds might be slightly in favor for me for Geo. Well, fingers crossed we see that match happen Absolutely. sooner rather than later. And speaking of upcoming matches, we got a bunch uh, coming up on Floor Grappling over the next couple of weeks. Uh, events pretty much every single weekend. So we've got a ton of fight to win events. Those guys are all over the U.S. bringing the highest quality super fights uh, live on Flow Grappling pretty much every single weekend. And don't forget, of course, next month, March 7th through 11th is the IBJJF PANS. This is one of the Grand Slam IBJJF tournaments, one of the biggest of the year. And uh, we've been scanning the divisions and we're expecting big things from that. The black belts are starting to sign up now. Last few days of registration and we're expecting a few big names to pop in there as well. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, We were going to roll a video, but unfortunately technical problems means that today this is it for another episode of A Fistful of Collars. Guys, anything you'd like to add before we sign off? If you're not watching Tim Spriggs versus Rafael Lovato this weekend, you're definitely making a mistake. That goes down tomorrow. Absolutely.
Guys, there it is. Another one in the bag. We'll see you again next week. Peace.